0: I'm Greg. I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a popping collars side project where we look back at movies nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. This month, we are looking at Mississippi Bernie.
1: You have to say it that (laughs) way? That makes it sound like this movie is about warlocks or something. That's not a proper introduction. All
0: right, fine. This month, we're looking back... (laughs) at Mississippi Burning.
2: I am sick and tired of going to the funerals of black men who have been murdered by white men. They are powerless against us if every single Anglo-Saxon Christian one of us stands
3: together. The
4: rest of America don't see it that way, Mr. Mayor. The rest of America don't mean a damn thing. You and Mississippi now. You had us scared to death, man. Don't you call me man, boy it ever occurred to them, they're going to end up dead. The moment those three kids disappeared, it was news. The moment the three civil rights workers disappeared, it was news. You'd kill Frank? Is that what you're saying? I wouldn't give it no more thought than wringing a cat's neck. These people called out of a sewer, Mr. Ward! We do not accept Jews because they reject Christ. We do not accept
2: Papists because they bow to a Roman dictator. We do not accept Turks, Orientals, nor Negroes. We're not killers. That's the difference between them and us. That's the
4: difference between them and you. Did you smile when the bulldozer ran over the black kid's body? We're here to protect Anglo-Saxon
2: democracy in the American way.
4: What's wrong with these people? 1964, when America was at war with
0: itself. I have a recap of Mississippi Burning. Would you like to hear it?
1: Is it shorter than the recap on IMDb? Let's see.
0: Uh, it is two sentences.
1: Ooh, that's going to be pretty good. Okay, let's hear it. All
0: right, here we go. A fictionalized version of the murders of three civil rights activists on June 21st, 1964 in Mississippi. Two FBI agents, Agent Anderson, played by Gene Hackman, and Agent Ward, played by Willem Dafoe, come in to solve the case.
1: Okay. The only thing you left out was that they have wildly different styles. The two agents. So they that, that they really are. Good. That was good, though. That was good. They
0: are a mismatched they pair. They are. Uh, Betsy, what's your history with Mississippi Burning?
1: I this is of of the five movies we're looking at, one of two that I had actually mm. believe I had seen.
3: Mm.
1: Yes. So I think I saw this. I don't know whether I saw it in the theater. Hmm. But I do remember. I do remember the movie. I might have seen it on television. Interesting. I'm not sure.
0: Um, I know the box art of this. It's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, when I was working at the video store, the Hollywood video back yes. in the 90s. Yes. Uh, there's some box art on VHSs that catch your eye. This one was one of those with like the burning cross and the two in Hackman and Defoe on the front mm-hmm. of the box. When I looked at it and I looked at the title, I was like, mm, that sounds like homework. More than Uh, like watching a movie.
1: Well, and I think it is good to be clear that this is a fictional account. Right. That it is very close to the murder of Cheney and other, the two other poll workers. So we're, we're close, but we're not really telling that story.
0: Also, I should say, history with this movie wise, growing up in North Carolina in the South.
1: Yes. And I was growing up in Alabama. This was
0: not the kind of movie that would have been like put, this would have been like, um, and not to say that people would have actively said, no, you can't go see that movie, but this wouldn't have been a movie that would have been promoted highly where yes. I was growing up.
1: Well, and in Alabama, we were always up for making any time Mississippi could be appear lower than us. Mm. It was a moment of like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, look how bad they are. Yeah. But, I mean, but this, you know, watching this movie again, holy moly.
0: Yeah, right? Uh, so ugh. why don't you take us off? What's, the, what's your hot take on this one?
1: This was a really hard movie to watch, and I think it's a really hard movie to watch in 2019 with some stuff now in the rearview mirror with the language and how we are at the moment as a country. Mm -hmm. It was it was difficult to watch because you just see all the footprints, all the seeds and that they're still growing and that this isn't something that's gone and I don't know whether the movie makers at the time thought that. I don't think so, based on some of the reading I've done about the movie. But that it it was it was rough. And I know Hackman had really made a point of saying, I'm not gonna do violent movies anymore. Right. And then he changed his mind and did this movie. Because it's it's violent on all fronts. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult. It's difficult.
0: Uh, and and coming out of this movie, he specifically said because when he was up for Best Actor, the clip that they showed at the 89 Oscars was him beating up Brad Dourif out of context from this movie. Right. And he was so distraught by that scene being played out of context that he said, I'm never going to do a violent movie again because I can't I can't have that be my work. And he had to be talked into Unforgiven by uh, Clint Eastwood. Well, and well. I think
1: that... By- Yes, which also starred some of the same people that are in this movie. Yeah. Um, my other t- hot take was, yeah, we had we had talked about this movie before as being a movie about white people telling you, teaching you about the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. because it, they're not. There are some people who I recognize in this movie who have gone on to be, you know, well-known black actors, but there really isn't a black protagonist. And right. watching it again it made me realize, oh, cause it's not, the movie is not for black people. Right. It was, this movie is for white people. And when I look at how Willem Dafoe is approaching it and how Gene Hackman is approaching it, I think that we're looking at two different ways of mm-hmm. um, approaching r- the racist South.
0: Yeah. I w- agree with you. So Do you agree with me on that? Yes. I'm,
1: and I'm not quite, I haven't quite nailed down what those two perspectives are. But that was, a, that was a take I walked away with.
0: No, I agree. Because a, a lot of what Hackman is doing is he's playing this character as a way of confronting his own past.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so the Anderson character, Agent Anderson, comes from a background where he was the racist sheriff from Mississippi. He's, he's clearly evolved past whatever that point of view was. And it's interesting because
1: we don't really know how and why we get allusions to a ending of a marriage allusions to his relationship with his dad, but we don't really know what changed for him, which I think is interesting.
0: But now he's going back into a situation where he's, he's essentially confronting himself, Mm -hmm. a, a past version of himself. The only thing that I would say that makes it a little funky is that Hackman plays the character especially early on in the film as really smiley i don't know how to i don't know I
1: exactly how what,
0: to explain it but he's yeah he's kind of like this uh kind of like joking uncle kind of character for like the first hour and it just doesn't it feels off somehow
1: and it ends in the bar that ends when they're like look we're done with your shtick like right. we, we see you and then there's defoe Who I see as being the the outsider looking at the situation and how many times does Willem Dafoe have the line of like how can these people hate people like this how can this keep happening why is this happening and I think that is another way that people were looking at the south as well Mm -hmm. how is this happening why is this happening
4: you admire these kids don't you don't you I think they're being used they're being sent down here in their Volkswagens and their sneakers just to get their heads cracked open. Did it ever occur to you that maybe they believed in what they were doing? Did it ever occur to them they're going to end up dead? Maybe. In Washington, they sure as hell knew, didn't they? Some things are worth dying for. Well, Down here, they see things a little differently. People down here feel some things are worth killing for. Where does it come from? All this hatred.
0: Just piggybacking off of what you said earlier about man, there was some stuff that resonated. That's one of my notes. One of my notes is this has brutal echoes of modern problems. And the two things that I noted right off the bat were distrust of media.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes. The, sure. the
0: population's distrust of what the media was reporting. And how that's used nowadays. And also the other thing that I noted was an unwillingness of the community to confront problems that are ingrained in their society. Mm-hmm. These, these are things best left ignored, right? And it's not worth going – so like for instance, when Anderson and Ward walk into the restaurant that separated whites and blacks. And Ward walks to the black section of the restaurant and starts asking questions of the patrons there. The whole time leading up to that, Anderson's like, that's not worth it. That's not worth transgressing on that. Like, stop. Like, you can't be an activist in this situation. It's that kind of stuff that I totally identify with Mm -hmm. in my experience of the South, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, bad things may have happened, but we're not going to. Like, you're only going to cause problems by bringing up right? the problem.
1: Well, and there's also, I think, too, what we hear now is this, the narrative of scarcity. There's not enough to go around, right? Like, was. he tells, Gene Hackman tells the story of his father and the man down the street, the black he farmer down the street, who got a mule.
4: That was a big deal around that town. My daddy hated that mule. Because his friends were always kidding him about, oh, they saw Monroe out plowing with his new mule, and Monroe was going to rent another field now they had a mule. And one morning, that mule just showed up dead. It poisoned the water. And after that, there was never any mention about that mule around my daddy. It just never came up. One time we were driving down the road and we passed Monroe's place and we saw it was empty. He just packed up and left, I guess, gone up north or something. I looked over at my daddy's face. And I knew he'd done it. He saw that I knew He's was shamed.
1: And the, the moral of that story is, you know, if you're not better, and he used the N-word... Mm-hmm. You know, quoting his father if you're not better than than this black man son you know who are you better than yeah and and then defoe is like well i think that's just an excuse and he says no i'm just telling you a story about my daddy yeah and that element of there's not enough to go around you've got to there's a hierarchy that needs to happen right that is what we do in this country over and over and over and again
0: a question for you Yes, and this was just a question that I thought of while I was watching the film. Would this movie be better, worse, different if the Willem Dafoe character was black? It felt like if this were a modern movie, that would be the choice that would be made. But I think if if it's going to be
1: if it's going to be a commentary on the on white reaction to what's happening in the South and during the Civil Rights Movement, I, I think it would be a different movie. Hmm. Because it's, I don't know, being someone who, I'm, I grew up in Alabama, but my family is not really from there. And so I was always, because everything, you know, some of the things that, you know, a lot of the things that there were super problematic and awful and just embarrassing. And so I would kind of other in a way mm-hmm. that, of Willem Defoe, like, well, I'm not one of these people. I'm right. not like that. So while at the same time, I've learned the social cues and some of the stuff that you know that you mentioned with Gene Hagman. we just just don't just don't push the envelope on that. That one's not worth it. Yeah. Pick this over here but don't pick that. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. I don't think it would it would be a different movie. What do you think?
0: Well, what I have is well, if that's the case, then what may, what would make this movie different from In the Heat of the Night? Right. I feel like by replacing Willem Dafoe and putting in a black actor, then I'm just basically remaking In the Heat of the Night.
1: Well, not exactly, because you know, we've already determined that local law enforcement on the ground here is no good. So, we're I think it's also dealing with the fact that the FBI aspect too, that they are coming in as other into the community, mm-hmm. and then you would still, you know, we're dealing with two law enforcement entities happening, mm-hmm. and and one and one has a lot of power in some instances and very little power in other instances. So, still, still, yes, yes, it would be similar but a little different.
0: Yeah. Okay. I also have. This is a showcase of Hollywood character actors.
1: <laughs> this is like. Listen, we have got everyone's <laughs> favorite racist, Michael Rooker. Everybody, oh let's see. Le- he is Rooker plays the best racist from the oh walk This movie to probably six other movies.
0: I mean, I mean you are Rooker correct. is always Rooker. There's never. A moment where he's not this, like whatever this character is.
1: <laughs> Whether he's an alien in a
0: Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. That's right. Even if you paint him blue, he's still this. Still <laughs> like this guy.
1: This. But you are correct. No, now which character actors are you listing off when you think? About All right, this? so
0: Steven Tobolowski, obviously, right?
1: Okay. Um, who, who did he play? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah Groundhog leader. Day.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tobin Bell. I've got is character actor central mainly because of the saw phenomenon. Right. But yeah. like, you know, Tevin Bell's always, he's always that guy. And especially Pruitt Taylor Vince, Who's oh, yeah. always that guy. And you know, him absolutely. Every time you see him with his little shifty eyes, I and feel you're like, like he's oh played my gosh. A super racist
1: too. I feel like he's also done that part in another film. Oh, and Kevin Dunn who I just kept yes. looking at and thinking of Veep. <laughs> and I was like, and he's Mr. Bird, age of bird.
0: And apparently it's his film debut. This, really? this is his film debut. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, interesting. Nice. Um, best scene from the movie.
1: Yeah. The mule scene, I thought was good. And that, you know, they have all the, those historical lynching photos and all of that. And it's, it's the first time the action kind of quiets so that it's, Defoe and Hackman really having a conversation mm-hmm. with each other. I mean, it that that scene then gets piggybacked with that closing scene where the mayor's hung himself and there's that great quote, you know, are we just as guilty as the fanatic, fanatics who pull the trigger if you just stand by and watch and pretend nothing is happening? Mm-hmm. Maybe we're all guilty. Right. You know, kind of that moment when you know, we move out from the characters to kind of indicting the audience.
0: My favorite scene is Frankie Faison's sermon, which I guess we sh- probably should have included him
1: oh, Frankie in Faison. our
0: character, actors, character right?
1: actors. I mean, when, um, when I saw Faison, him, I'm, I'm like, yes.
0: Yeah, Who you know from Do the Right Thing and yes. The Wire and all kinds of stuff. But um, his anger at the funeral of these boys uh, played out with the violence going on. As the FBI is it's just one attempting to root out, you know, the yeah. the Klan and then the Klan's violence against blacks, it's just all kind of being told in this montage with this sort of angry uh, message going on in the background, and it's just it's so compelling. It just uh, that was the one that totally sucked me in, and it's Faison's delivery and it's the images that are being shown to you, and that's that's the one where it's like. You kind of pause the movie and you take a deep breath because you're like, whew, this is is going for it.
2: They want me to say, let us not forget the two white boys also died helping Negroes help themselves. (laughs) They want me to say, we mourn with the mothers of these two white boys. But the state of Mississippi won't even allow these white boys to be buried in the same cemetery as this Negro boy. I say I have no more love to give. I have only anger in my heart today, and I want you to be angry with me. But I am sick, and I am tired, and I want you to be sick and tired with me. I am sick and tired of going to the funerals of black men who have been murdered by white men. I, I am sick and tired of the people of this country who continue to allow these things to happen. What is an unalienable right if you are a Negro? What does it mean equal treatment under the law? You will see the face of a black man, but if you look at the bloodshed, it is red. It is like yours. It is just like yours.
1: You know, be angry with me. Yeah. And I think being someone who is a preacher, you think about what you would say in those moments, and when you when you really talking about your own emotional response, and also the the kind of caught my heart kind of moments in the funeral when the younger brother's at the graveside and kind of can't, you know, and you can tell these are local actors, right? Local folks. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, the mom kind of grabs his hand. And then when Defoe is marching with the group, when he's walking with the group from the funeral and he ends up kind of peeling off to go with Packman and the new plan, the new plan guys. Yeah. Uh, but, but you, I've watched that and I was like, and I asked that question. I, I think it's asking that question. Would this have been you? Yes. If you had been there in '64 in this Mississippi town, would this have been you? Would you have walked? Mm-hmm. And because I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, of course that would have been me. Uh, yeah, and sure. Would it have been you?
0: Uh, best actor from the movie. I mean,
1: movie. I I have a soft spot for the hacks. Gene yeah. Hackman. I find his energy completely magnetic. He is just such a great actor, and he is not a looker, not no. <laughs> not not a traditional looker, you know. And he's coming out of that '70s movie time when not, not many people were lookers. There's a few people, but like right. a lot of the hard-driving, you know, gonna get it actors are not those guys. I, you know, then we've talked a lot about Hackman, so I guess I want to give my shout out to um, Darius McCrary. Okay. He plays right. Aaron, the little boy in the movie, who's who kind of becomes the kid who's who stands up.
4: Sorry about interrupting your meeting here, but uh, we can't seem to get anybody to talk to us. We just zip up, like my mama used to say.
2: The reason people don't want to talk to you is because they're afraid it'll get back to the law.
4: We are the law. Not around here, you ain't. We were sent here to find out what happened to those three boys. They were here to help you.
2: It ain't color folks you should be talking to.
4: Who should we be talking to? lawyer? You
1: should start with the sheriff's office. You know, he in that moment talks to them because no one's talking to them. No one will right. speak to them. And they're gathered at the burned out church. And he's the one who talks. And he's then the one who convinces the boy who saw the guys plant the firebomb at the house to speak. And, and he's the one whose father is hung. Mm-hmm. I, th- I found him to just be. I saw him as a, you know this kid shining through this role a little yeah. bit, as yeah. one of the few black actors in the movie who kind of has an identity uh, inside the film. But I thought he did. He did a nice job because there are there are a lot of children used in this film, it's particularly that closing scene where they're all singing. There's just a lot of children. You know, I'm
0: with you on Hackman. What I've got written down as my note, he's just so natural. Like he just feels so natural in a role that you can tell he has studied. He's done every sort of character work that he needs to do to embody whatever role it is that he's playing. Yeah. He's coming off of his big movie star run, won the Oscar for French connection coming out of the Superman movies, all of that stuff. And then this is kind of starting his, what I'm calling his, I'm going to be good in everything run of movies. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like my, uh, my rule of Morgan Freeman. If you put Morgan Freeman in a good movie, it makes it better.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Put mm-hmm. it in a really good movie. It makes it great. Right. Um, that's kind of what Gene Hackman starts doing at this point. So he does like the Grisham movies, the Westerns, the unforgivens and the quick and the deads and Wyatt Earp and stuff, uh, all the way up to Royal Tannenbaums, you know, so where he's pretty. just, yeah. And it's just, he just makes, he just, elevates all the material that he touches. Um, I guess I would say Francis McDormand is my best actor for this movie, though.
1: This whole thing is so ugly. Have you any idea what it's like to live with all this? People look at us and only see bigots and racists. Hatred isn't something you're born with. It gets
2: tough. At school, they said segregation's what's said in the Bible. Genesis nine, verse twenty-seven. At seven years' age, you get told it enough times. You believe it. You believe the hatred. You live it. You breathe it. So marry it.
0: Especially around this time. So this is like Blood Simple, you know, Francis McDormand. Early Cohen brothers, like Francis right. McDormand. Um, she does a lot of interior work with her face. Where you can see, like, she's working through the dialogue. And, like, what the character actually thinks. Like, you can sort of see it in her eyes and her facial expressions. And I think that that's... I think that that's an interesting way of acting i think she does a great job with it
1: this could have been a role that kind of could have been easily overplayed yeah easily overdone you know i just don't know what to do it could have stepped i mean because let's talk about the southern movie stereotypes which i'm sure are based in fact right most sheriffs are fat uh there needs to be a tense straight edge um shaving scene
3: Mm -hmm.
1: most people like to have that done with a cigar in their mouth, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of Southern movie tropes happening here. And her role could have stepped very much into that as a female character in the mm-hmm. movie. Of,
0: the racist with a heart of gold.
1: Right. Yeah. Victim, you know, mm-hmm. and, but that she didn't play it that way. And that it took some time for her to kind of come to a place to see, to have an ally to actually speak to. And it wasn't that you know. Yes, there was chemistry with her and Hackman in the movie for sure, but that that wasn't the basis. It wasn't like he was coming in to say, "I'm going to take you away from here." No. Yeah, and that and she was in the end staying in her like beat up old house. Yeah.
0: Right, and I always got the sense that she was bound to that town, like there was no leaving for her. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know she has that great scene where she's like, you know, you just grow up in this, and it just becomes. Part of you, like you live it, you breathe it, you marry it. It's just, and there's yeah, no, she, there's no way out. Up,
1: when she brought up that, uh you know, Genesis verse from you know Genesis nine verse twenty-seven, you know, this curse of Ham, and that that being used is justification for slavery that she's heard in school, mm-hmm. and that if you just steep in it, you don't right. always and yeah then the the motivation to not say anything cuz yeah. saying something's too hard
0: let's get some some stats let's get yep. to some stats numbers about the movie opened on december 9th 1988 merry christmas it's funny all of the movies that we've seen were december opens so we're clearly in we're that's clearly it. in that awards yeah. that's yeah. when
1: you put your oscar bait mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. yeah
0: Uh, domestic gross it made 34 million dollars number 33 highest grossing movie of 1988 it is the number 2463rd top grossing movie of all time between overcomer our good friend overcomer the movie just came out this year good god (laughs) this is between overcomer and man on the moon jim carrey yeah came in just ahead of jim carrey's Mm. Uh, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Kind of medium.
1: That's, That's kind of what you would
0: expect. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of those movies that I can see people being well, divided on.
1: I think I would have felt that way before I saw
0: it again. Yeah. It is tied for number seven on the lowest scoring Best Picture nominees on Metacritic of the past 30 years. It's tied with The Prince of Tides. No... And our good friend Rain Man.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh.
0: So there are three movies from this Oscar cycle that are on the lowest scoring Best Picture nominees. Wow. Because The Accidental Tourist was also on this list. That's a lot. Roger Ebert loved it, though. Loved it. Ready? Mississippi Burning. Feels like a movie made from the inside out. A movie that knows the ways and people of its small southern city so intimately that having seen it, I know the place that I'd go for a cup of coffee and the place that I'd steer clear from. Four out of four stars.
1: (laughs) It knows the white people. It doesn't really feel like it knows the black people. That's Raj. That's Um. Raj.
0: How did it do at the Oscars? One win. Betsy, what did it win for?
1: God, um. I don't know. Um.
0: We've yeah. kind of hinted around it.
1: Is it cinematography? It is! Yes! Total guess! Best
0: cinematography.
1: Because it knows how to film a raging fire.
0: That's right. That's right. Nominated for a ton of Oscars, though. This was this was the big Oscar-nominated movie, along with Rain Man. Nominated for Best Actor, Gene Hackman. Best Supporting Actress, Frances McDormand. Best Director, Alan Parker. Best Sound and Best Film Editing. Hmm. Didn't pull in any of those. Today, in Jessup County, Mississippi,
2: amidst the violence that has erupted here this week, the eyes of the nation have been firmly fixed on the search for the three missing civil rights workers.
4: Well, I think it's ought to be hoax, but if they are in that ass long, then they ask for it.
2: Naval reserves have been brought in to join scores of FBI agents in their search for the missing men. Well, I think they planned the whole thing. They're sitting up there in New York laughing at us Mississippi folks. You think it's a hoax? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a big hoax. They ain't not gonna find nothing. Civil rights leaders here are still optimistic as to the young men's whereabouts. But privately, there is mounting concern that they will ever be found alive.
4: They came down here leaving for trouble, and I think they found it.
0: This is Merrick Barl-Bobby, Network News jessup county mississippi let's talk about the legacy of this movie which means we got to talk about race we've already talked about this yes it's a movie about race featuring major majority white actors yes is that a tough look for this movie
1: i think if we because i went on the huff post and and i you know i just actually I just googled you know movies about the civil rights movement because mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of see where this movie fell in in the in the scheme of movies, right? Uh, and it's it's interesting as a fictional movie because it's also it's on TV at the time that Eyes on the Prize is on is on TV. The mm-hmm. so Eyes on the Prize runs from eighty seven to ninety, and that's your fourteen part series, chronicling all of the civil rights movement from fifty four to eighty five, and so. But that's nonfiction.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And there are a lot of not not a ton of nonfiction things that come out before this. There's some things that come out near it. But this really is one of the in the in the fiction category that would have gotten a nationwide release without having you know the censor boards in the South kind of say, Oh, well, sorry, you know, we're not gonna show Raisin in the Sun or we're not gonna yeah. show you know, I'm just I'm I'm guessing, you know, that we're not gonna show, you know, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner maybe, or we're not gonna right. show in the Heathen Night sixty seven. that that this becomes an early movie, fictional movie about the civil rights movement. Yeah. And I don't know whether a different film could have gotten made on the you know, with the scope and sequence. You know, those other movies came later. Right. Telling more of the story of the African American experience.
0: Yeah, I think I think and I think that that's I think you nailed it at the beginning of this conversation when you said this is a movie about race that's starring white people. It's for white people to confront the sins of the 60s. I wonder if um,
1: and whether that's intentional or whether that is this was the movie that was going to be made in 1988.
0: I have another question about race, but I don't know. I don't know if I know what it that is I'm asking. Mm -hmm. I said, how have movies about this subject changed and what stayed the same? But it occurs to me that I think that what's changed about movies, about sort of examining race or civil rights, is that for the most part, these are stories about struggles of African-Americans. Like, that's what I think of when I think of civil rights movies
3: mm-hmm
0: and this doesn't fit that narrative necessarily
1: necessarily i agree i agree with you
0: so it i don't know it just makes me think that a movie about this subject today wouldn't be gene hackman and willem Dafoe. it would be Mm-mm.
1: yeah you know now we're able to do movies like selma and and you yeah. know, malcolm x or you know something that really yeah. puts you a different place. And I think for the, and that's for just, I kept looking at these local actors and these, the trauma for these folks, that these are people who live through this
3: mm-hmm.
1: or on the ground for this. And you're asking them to kind of step into that again. And, you know, that some of the, some of the folks, you know, that big, um, some of the extras use their actual clan IDs yeah, to, as I, as identification on set. So, I'm like, I don't know what kind of insurance they took out. Like it's, but they were really in, and, and what sort of discussion with local leaders, right. You know, you're going to come down here and film this movie because, right. you know, we are not post post race Liberals
0: from Hollywood. Much less,
1: right. But right. Outside agitators, like mm-hmm. that whole language thing too. Oh, mm-hmm. I was, the, the scene in the courtroom was one of the most infuriating. Yeah. And I almost had to fast forward. I was so
0: pissed off. And brings us to the classic going on 30 question. Who is this movie for? Betsy. <laughs> white people. <laughs> yes. I have a, I have a differentiate. Do you have, I have a, a
1: nuance? I have a nuance.
0: This movie is for white Yankees. <laughs> one
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, because at the time, like I said, where I grew up, this wasn't like a movie where it's like, oh, you can't watch this. But it's it it does it have it does smack of bit. this idea of oh, these people from Hollywood are gonna tell me how I'm living my life wrong. And how my grandmother was racist and my great grandmother was racist and blah blah. blah you know? Yeah. Um and there's there's a certain kind of defensiveness that comes. And I think that it comes very much um, in the form of that family identity. I mean, th- there's ingrained racism, and I'm, I don't mean to imply that, you know, that, oh, this is white victimhood or anything like this. But when you grow up in the South, where I was anyway, in North Carolina, my family all lived on one road. Like your family were your neighbors. Like that's, you know, it's just you were tight, you were bonded. Um, And to have a history that's steeped in something that's very evil, um, it's basically saying there's something illegitimate about this family that you've grown up in. And I think that that's the defensiveness that a lot of people react to um, when they're uncomfortable about examining how being white in the South, they may have benefited from that historically. Because Gene Hackman alludes to this with the mule thing. I grew up in a poor family on a tobacco farm and every one of them would have said, I don't know what you're talking about slaves. I'm a poor farmer on a tobacco farm in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. Like don't tell me how privileged I am. Right. Um, that's kind of the defensiveness that I hear.
1: Well, and that you see some of the hierarchy inside the white community too, whether it's with the clan leader or the mayor or the law enforcement but the, and that and the, then they hang other people out to dry inside yeah. and that it that that is all that hierarchical thing is is still at play you know yeah i think i think it the way it the way those those interviews that he those media interviews
3: mm-hmm.
1: are throughout that was that was probably one of the most chilling parts of the movie because it yeah. could have been said and filmed on film 30 years ago? Or it could have been said... At a
0: rally. Yeah, you could definitely hear that at a rally. Yeah, today. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, especially the, oh, you can't believe, you know, the stuff that you see on TV. Like, yeah. That's, yeah.
1: And I think that and if we're looking at this as one of the movies that's beginning, at least the cinematic wide release, big pictures, looking back, that broken headstone at the end and Mm -hmm. all you see is the death year 1964 and then underneath it it says not forgotten and just the fact that it's on a desecrated tombstone because that's Mm -hmm. what whenever you're going to persecute anybody Mm -hmm. one of the first you know it's in the handbook person you know you know persecuting people 101 you desecrate their cemetery Right. If you want to go after, if you're anti Semitic, you know, you go after the, you know, breakdown headstones that have stars yeah. of David on them. And so that it isn't, there's still this brokenness
3: mm-hmm.
1: about the time. They're not wrapping it up in a nice bow for you because that's not how the movie really ends.
3: Right.
1: Even though we're all singing together, black and white together, it's not necessarily a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And, the request is to not forget.
0: Right. And it, and the thing that I like about the ending on the tombstone is that it shows that it's generational, Mm -hmm. that it's something that's gone before something that we continue to live. It's this idea of legacy generation, uh, all the stuff that Francis McDormand talks about in her monologue. What is your rating out of five? (sighs) For Mississippi Burning.
1: Craig, I'm going to give it a four. Four out of five.
0: Four out of five. Out That's of what five. she gave Dangerous Liaisons.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what are you giving it?
0: We are we are finally divided <gasps> on a movie.
1: What, if, what are you giving it?
0: I'm giving it a 2.5. Oh, I'm, no. Yeah. I was a little down on this movie.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's not for content. So we've, we've done a lot of discussion about content, and I think that this movie gets at something really important. And that's not the quibbles that I have with this movie. My problems with the movie, it feels like it's stuck in first gear. Like, the whole time. It just, it just kind of doesn't... For me, anyway, it doesn't shift into... Uh, a, sort of dramatic stakes. It just kind of feels like it's, it's going, it's humming along. Mm -hmm. It's like a kid telling you a story, you know, like a little child telling you a story where it's like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. The end. It's just kind of like that.
1: But I also think that some of it is the relentlessness of the story and of the times mm -hmm. that, I think I'd also, this might, might, some of how I'm looking at this movie might also have been based off of, I just listened to two back-to-back dollop podcasts on the 74, 75 busing riots in Boston. And that inside that resistance by the Southie community and, and the you know white communities that did not want to bus, it's just this, we're just going to keep coming at you. And we're going to keep coming at you. And we're going to keep protesting. We're going to keep throwing rocks. We're going to keep you know, fights. We're going to keep breaking. It's just going to keep happening and keep happening. And if we keep doing it enough, then you're eventually just going to leave.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost like the the zealots, Jewish zealots resisting the Roman occupation. Just keep killing Romans. And mm-hmm. eventually, people are going to leave us alone.
3: Yeah.
1: And I think, because, yeah, when I'm like, oh, man, it's another thing's on fire. And I felt that way, too, right? But I think that I felt like some of that was the the relentless mood of what 64 was like. It just keeps happening. And another crappy thing is happening. And And the person's dead. And, you know, oh, there seem to be eyes everywhere and you can't talk to anybody because they're going to come and find you and intimidate you and kill you or rough you up in your house and put you in the hospital Right, with two people standing there. I think it was that, i felt that same monotony but that i think it i for me it spoke to mood okay okay hashtag hashtag mood
0: for me it felt like there was a plot but that plot didn't seem to drive the actions of the characters
3: Mm.
0: and that's that's kind of the missed connection i think for me while i was watching it would this be nominated for an oscar today It's so of its time. I can't believe you're thinking about this. I thought that this was an obvious one for me in that. Yes, it absolutely would.
1: Do you think? I I think it would be all kinds of representation problems. I I just, it feels like the movie that even though it feels like it falls short in areas, like it was the movie that people were ready to make in the mid eighties.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, that we would make a different movie now. I don't know.
0: You've got two movies about race coming next year that we'll likely end up talking about. Right. One is the winner of the Academy Award next year. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. Spoilers. Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy. The other one is a movie that wasn't nominated for Best Picture, which is uh, Do the Right Thing.
1: Right. And also, if I'm going to put Miss Daisy up against Mississippi Burning. Right. Boy, we just we couldn't handle Mississippi Burning. Just couldn't handle it.
3: Really? It's
1: too much. Right. Too much. So now we got it. We're going to go over here. You know, there See, are no magical black people in this movie who are here to teach you a lesson. They do resist some of that. I think the, I think the Aaron Kid character sometimes gets the closest to that. But you feel the fear.
0: Here's the note that I wrote, and this may be too cynical for me to include on the show. Green Book proves that the Academy's appetite for white people being heroes of stories about racism will always have a place.
1: I think you should keep that (laughs) in Because it's true. It's true.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I would say this would be a problem if Green Book hadn't won the Academy Award Ugh. just last year. And it's just the same. We keep going down the same cycle of, oh, yeah. uh, good for that white guy. He, he he solved it. Good for him. Like, come on, man. What are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, where does this rank with Oscar nominated movies from 19- 1989 that we've seen so far? What is your ranking? We have four movies. We all, we only need one more. This is so exciting.
1: Is so exciting. We're like right on the edge
0: here. It's four crazy. movies. So you're number four.
1: <laughs> Accidental Tourist. Accidental Tourist. <laughs> it's number three. Never coming out of the basement. Accidental yeah. Tourist. It's, it's going to be there the rest of the time, everybody. <laughs> then Rain Man. Rain Man.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Number three. Number two. Because you've scored them the same. Rainy. I know, I could go Sport. either way. You could go
1: either way. Mississippi Burning, number one dangerously.
0: Though. Right, okay. We Point are three. we are the same, except that I have Rain Man, number two, Mississippi Burning, number three. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I'd be curious to see where Working Girl fits, because I've never seen Working Girl. So It's the
1: one I've seen the most.
0: Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. It'll be number one for you.
1: I'm not saying it's going to be number one because part of me is like, this is a movie that would come on the USA channel, on like a Sunday afternoon, maybe with a few edits,
3: right?
1: But (laughs) this movie's nominated for an Oscar, like that—that is some of what I want to—I want to get into. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So that's our next movie. Okay. We're finally at work. Merry Christmas. Are you excited? Betsy, are you excited I, I to mean, finally be
1: watching? Yes, you've been holding me to this alphabetical order <laughs> nonsense. Okay.
0: Alright, so come back next time. That's right. When we finally... <laughs> We're gonna it's work working, it, girl. girl. We're working it. <laughs> Betsy,
1: okay, thank put you a, for I'm gonna talk- put on my sneakers with my hose. <laughs> my stockings. Commute to work.
0: Betsy, thank you for talking about Mississippi burning with me.
1: You gotta crack any time.